from WNYC in New York. This is America, Are We Ready? A Thursday night national call-in show for the first 100 days of the Biden presidency. Today is day 51. And tonight it's actually special coverage of Biden's first primetime address to the nation as president. We'll take your reactions on the phone after the speech. It's scheduled for right now, 8 o'clock Eastern Time, and as soon as the president begins, we'll go right to it. The occasion is the signing today of his $1.9 trillion COVID relief bill and the one-year anniversary this week of so many things shutting down in the United States and COVID-19 being declared a national emergency. With me for this special coverage are Kai Wright, host of the podcast The United States of Anxiety from WNYC, and Susan Page, Washington Bureau Chief for USA Today. Susan, we could get interrupted any second, but what more can you tell us to set the scene? Well, this is a big speech by the president uh, after seven very uh, effective weeks, I think, for seven weeks of his of his presidency, he's going to uh, direct states to open up the vaccinations to all Americans by May 1st. This part of a speeded up schedule because we have more of the vaccine being produced than they thought would be possible at the beginning of his presidency. You know, this is the big victory for him to get this legislation passed. He's now doing the next step, which is selling it to Americans, persuading Americans it was the right thing to do and it's going to benefit them. Kai, what are you expecting to hear or hoping to hear? And again, we could get interrupted any second. Well, I mean, we'll certainly hear more of what Joe Biden has been well known for since the beginning of this pandemic. And throughout his political career is his empathy, his ability to sort of actually mourn this moment, see what everybody has been through and where they stand, which, you know, will be a stark contrast uh, coming from the White House uh, for a moment like this. But then also, uh, you know, it, I, I'm with Susan. He's got to have a lot of good news and he's going to want to share it, you know. And um, and it's a really remarkable break from the past um, on, in so many ways for Democratic presidents, but certainly a direct break, as many people have talked about from the the Obama administration, which he was part of, uh, in his the rapidness with which they got this done and the eagerness with which they are going to go out um. and brag about it. And here's that interruption that I warned about, because here's the president. Let's go to the White House. Good evening, my fellow Americans. Tonight, I'd like to talk to you about where we are. As we mark one year since everything stopped because of this pandemic. A year ago, we were hit with a virus that was met with silence and spread unchecked. Denials for days weeks, then months, that led to more deaths, more infections, more stress, and more loneliness. Photos and videos from 2019 feel like they were taken in another era, the last vacation, the last birthday with friends, the last holiday with extended family. While it was different for everyone, we all lost something, a collective suffering, a collective sacrifice, a year filled with the loss of life and the loss of living for all of us. But in the loss, we saw how much there was to gain in appreciation, respect, and gratitude. Finding light in the darkness is a very American thing to do. In fact, it may be the most American thing we do. 
And that's what we've done. We've seen frontline and essential workers risking their lives, sometimes losing them, to save and help others. Researchers and scientists racing for a vaccine. And so many of you, as Hemingway wrote, being strong in all the broken places. I know it's been hard. I truly know. As I've told you before, I carry a card in my pocket with the number of Americans who have died from COVID to date. It's on the back of my schedule. As of now, total deaths in America, 527,726. That's more deaths than in World War I, World War II, the Vietnam War, and 9-11 combined. There were husbands, wives, sons and daughters, grandparents, friends, neighbors, young and old. They leave behind loved ones, unable to truly grieve or to heal, even to have a funeral. But I'm also thinking about everyone else who lost this past year to natural causes, by cruel fate of accident or other disease. They, too, died alone. They, too, leave behind loved ones who are hurting badly. You know, you've often heard me say before, I talk about the longest walk any parent can make is up a short flight of stairs to his child's bedroom to say, I'm sorry, I lost my job. Can't be here anymore. Like my dad told me when he lost his job in Scranton. So many of you have had to make that same walk this past year. You lost your job. You closed your business. Facing eviction, homelessness, hunger, a loss of control, maybe worst of all, a loss of hope. Watching a generation of children who may be set back up to a year or more because they've not been in school because of their loss of learning. It's the details of life that matter most. And we miss those details. The big details and the small moments. Weddings birthdays, graduations, all the things that needed to happen but didn't. The first date, the family reunions, the Sunday night rituals, it's all has exacted a terrible cost on the psyche of so many of us. For we are fundamentally a people who want to be with others, to talk, to laugh, to hug, to hold one another. But this virus has kept us apart. Grandparents haven't seen their children or grandchildren. Parents haven't seen their kids. Kids haven't seen their friends. The things we used to do that always filled us with joy have become things we couldn't do and broke our hearts. Too often, we've turned against one another. A mask. The easiest thing to do to save lives. Sometimes it divides us. States pit it against one another instead of working with each other. Vicious hate crimes against Asian Americans who've been attacked, harassed, blamed, and scapegoated. At this very moment, 
so many of them, our fellow Americans, they're on the front lines of this pandemic trying to save lives. And still, still, they're forced to live in fear for their lives just walking down streets in America. It's wrong, it's un-American, and it must stop. Look, we know what we need to do to beat this virus. Tell the truth. Follow the scientists and the science. Work together. Put trust and faith in our government to fulfill its most important function, which is protecting the American people. No function more important. We need to remember the government isn't some foreign force in a distant capital. No, it's us, all of us. We, the people. For you and I, that America thrives when we give our hearts when we turn our hands to common purpose. And right now, my friends, we're doing just that. And I have to say, as your president, I'm grateful to you. Last summer, I was in Philadelphia and I met a small business owner, a woman. I asked her, I said, what do you need most? I'll never forget what she said to me. She said, looking me in the eye, she said, I just want the truth, the truth. Just tell me the truth. Think of that. My fellow Americans, you're owed nothing less than the truth. And for all of you asking when things will get back to normal, here is the truth. The only way to get our lives back, to get our economy back on track, is to beat the virus. You've been hearing me say that for while I was running and the last 50 days I've been president. But this is one of the most complex operations we've under, under, ever undertaken as a nation in a long time. That's why I'm using every power I have as president of the United States to put us on a war footing to get the job done. Sounds like hyperbole, but I mean it, a war footing. And thank God we're making some real progress now. In my first full day in office, I outlined for you a comprehensive strategy to beat this pandemic. We've spent every day since attempting to carry it out. Two months ago, the country, this country didn't have nearly enough vaccine supply to vaccinate all or ever near all of the American public. But soon we will. We've been working with vaccine manufacturers, Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, to manufacture and purchase hundreds of millions of doses of these three safe, effective vaccines. And now, at the direction and with the assistance of my administration, Johnson & Johnson is working together with a competitor, Merck, to speed up and increase the capacity to manufacture new Johnson & Johnson vaccine, which was one shot. In fact, just yesterday, I announced, and I met with the CEOs of both companies, I announced our plan to buy an additional 100 million doses of Johnson & Johnson vaccines. These two companies, competitors, have come together for the good of the nation, and they should be applauded for it. It's truly a national effort just like we saw during World War II. Now, because all the work we've done, 
we'll have enough vaccine supply for all adults in America by the end of May. That's months ahead of schedule. And we're mobilizing thousands of vaccinators to put the vaccine in one's arm. Calling active duty military, FEMA, retired doctors and nurses, administrators, and those to administer the shots. And we've been creating more places to get the shots. We've made it possible for you to get a vaccine in nearly one, any one of 10,000 pharmacies across the country, just like you get your flu shot. We're also working with governors and mayors in red states and blue states to set up and support nearly 600 federally supported vaccination centers that administers hundreds of thousands of shots per day. You can drive up to a stadium or a large parking lot, get your shot, never leave your car, and drive home in less than an hour. We've been sending vaccines to hundreds of community health centers all across America, located in underserved areas. And we've been deploying, and we will deploy more, mobile vehicles and pop-up clinics to meet you where you live so those who are least able to get the vaccine are able to get it. We continue to work on making at-home testing available. And we've been focused on serving people in the hardest-hit communities of this pandemic, Black, Latino, Native American, and rural communities. So what does all this add up to? When I took office 50 days ago, only 8% of Americans, after months, only 8% of those over the age of 65 had gotten their first vaccination. Today, that number is 65%. Just 14% of Americans over the age of 75, 50, 50 days ago, had gotten their first shot. Today, that number is well over 70%. With new guidance from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, that came out on Monday, it means simply this. Millions and millions of grandparents who went months without being able to hug their grandkids can now do so. And the more people are fully vaccinated, the CD will continue to provide additional guidance on what you can do in the workplace, places of worship with your friends, as well as travel. When I came into office, you may recall, I said a goal that many of you said was that kind of way over the top. I said I intended to get 100 million shots in people's arms in my first 100 days in office. Tonight, I can say we're not only going to meet that goal, we're going to beat that goal. Because we're actually on track to reach this goal of 100 million shots in arms on my 60th day in office. No other country in the world has done this. None. Now, I want to talk about the next steps we're thinking about. First, tonight, I'm announcing that I will direct all states, tribes, and territories to make all adults, people 18 and over, eligible to be vaccinated no later than May 1. Let me say that again. All adult Americans will be eligible to get a vaccine no later than May 1. That's much earlier than expected. Let me be clear. That doesn't mean everyone's going to have that shot immediately, but it means you'll be able to get in line beginning May 1. Every adult will be eligible to get their shot. And to do this, 
We're going to go from a million shots a day that I promised in December, before I was sworn in, to maintaining, beating our current pace of two million shots a day, outpacing the rest of the world. Secondly, at the time when every adult is eligible in May, we will launch with our partners new tools to make it easier for you to find the vaccine and where to get the shot, including a new website that will help you first find the place to get vaccinated and the one nearest you. No more searching day and night for an appointment for you and your loved ones. Thirdly, with the passage of the American Rescue Plan, and I thank again the House and Senate for passing it, and my announcement last month of a plan to vaccinate teachers and school staff, including bus drivers, we can accelerate massive nationwide effort to reopen our schools safely and meet my goal that I stated at the same time about 100 million shots of opening a majority of K through 8 schools in my first 100 days in office. This is going to be the number one priority of my new Secretary of Education, Miguel Cardona. Fourth, in the coming weeks, we will issue further guidance on what you can and cannot do once fully vaccinated to lessen the confusion, to keep people safe, and encourage more people to get vaccinated. And finally, fifth, and maybe most importantly, I promise I will do everything in my power. I will not relent until we beat this virus. But I need you, the American people. I need you. I need every American to do their part. And that's not hyperbole. I need you. I need you to get vaccinated when it's your turn and when you can find an opportunity. And to help your family, your friends, your neighbors get vaccinated as well. Because here's the point. If we do all this, if we do our part, if we do this together, by July the 4th, there's a good chance you, your families and friends will be able to get together in your backyard or in your neighborhood and have a cookout or a barbecue and celebrate Independence Day. That doesn't mean large events with lots of people together, but it does mean small groups will be able to get together. After this long, hard year, that will make this Independence Day something truly special, where we not only mark our independence as a nation, but we begin to mark our independence from this virus. But to get there, we can't let our guard down. This fight is far from, order, from over, as I told the woman in Pennsylvania. I'll tell you the truth. A July 4th with your loved ones is the goal. But a goal, a lot can happen. Conditions can change. The scientists have made clear that things may get worse again as new variants of the virus spread. And we've got work to do to ensure that everyone has confidence in the safety and effectiveness of all three vaccines. So my message to you is this. Listen to Dr. Fauci, one of the most distinguished and trusted voices in the world. He's assured us the vaccines are safe. They underwent rigorous scientific review. I know they're safe. 
Vice President Harris, Harris and I know they're safe. That's why we got the vaccine publicly in front of cameras. So for the world to see, so you could see us do it. The first lady and the second gentleman also got vaccinated. Talk to your family, friends, your neighbors, the people you know best who've gotten the vaccine. We need everyone to get vaccinated. We need everyone to keep washing their hands, stay socially distanced, and keep wearing the mask as recommended by the CDC. Because even if we devote every resource we have, beating this virus and getting back to normal depends on national unity. And national unity isn't just how politics and politicians vote in Washington, or what the loudest voices say on cable or online. Unity is what we do together as fellow Americans. Because if we don't stay vigilant and the conditions change, then we may have to reinstate restrictions to get back on track. And please, we don't want to do that again. We've made so much progress. This is not the time to let up. Just as we were emerging from a dark winter into a hopeful spring and summer is not the time to not stick with the rules. I'll close with this. We've lost so much over the last year. We've lost family and friends. We've lost businesses and dreams we spent years building. We've lost time, time with each other. And our children have lost so much time with their friends, time with their schools. No graduation ceremonies this, this spring. No graduations from college, high school, moving up ceremonies. You know, and there's something else we lost. We lost faith in whether our government and our democracy can deliver on really hard things for the American people. But as I stand here tonight, we're proving once again something I've said time and time again to the probably tired of hearing me say it. I say it to foreign leaders and domestic alike. It's never, ever a good bet to bet against the American people. America is coming back. The development, manufacture, and distribution of vaccines in record time is a true miracle of science. It's one of the most extraordinary achievements any country has ever accomplished. And we also just saw the Perseverance rover land on Mars. Stunning images of our dreams that are now reality. Another example of the extraordinary American ingenuity, commitment, and belief in science and one another. And today, I signed into law the American Rescue Plan, an historic piece of legislation that delivers immediate relief to millions of people, includes $1,400 in direct rescue checks, payments. That means a typical family of four earning about $110,000 will get checks for $5,600 deposited if they have direct deposit or in a check, a treasury check. It extends unemployment benefits. It helps small businesses. It lowers health care premiums for many. It provides food and nutrition, keeps families in their homes. And it will cut child poverty in this country in half, according to the experts. And it funds all the steps I've just described to beat the virus and create millions of jobs.
In the coming weeks and months, I'll be traveling along with the First Lady, the Vice President, the Second Gentleman, members of my Cabinet, to speak directly to you, to tell you the truth about how the American Rescue Plan meets the moment. And if it fails at any pace, I will acknowledge that it failed, but it will not. About how after long, dark years, one whole year, there is hope and light of better days ahead. If we all do our part, this country will be vaccinated soon. Our economy will be on the mend. Our kids will be back in school. And we'll have proven once again that this country can do anything, hard things, big things, important things. Over a year ago, no one could have imagined what we were about to go through. But now, we're coming through it. And it's a shared experience that binds us together as a nation. We are bound together by the loss and the pain of the days that have gone by. We're also bound together by the hope and the possibilities of the days in front of us. My fervent prayer for our country is that after all we've been through, we'll come together as one people, one nation, one America. I believe we can and we will. We're seizing this moment. And history, I believe, will record. We faced and overcame one of the toughest and darkest periods in this nation's history. Darkest we've ever known. I promise you, we'll come out stronger with a renewed faith in ourselves, a renewed commitment to one another, to our communities and to our country. This is the United States of America. And there's nothing, nothing, from the bottom of my heart, I believe this, there's nothing we can't do when we do it together. So God bless you all. And please, God, give solace to all those people who lost someone. And may God protect our troops. Thank you for taking the time to listen. I look forward to seeing you. Well, we've been listening to Joe Biden's first primetime address to the nation as president of the United States. Now we'll get some analysis of the speech and we'll take your reactions on the phones. Good evening again, everyone. I'm Brian Lehrer, and this is America Are We Ready, our Thursday night national call-in for the first 100 days of the Biden presidency. And listeners, whether you voted for Joe Biden for president or voted for Donald Trump, how's Biden doing, in your opinion, at fighting the pandemic? How did he do in that speech? And how's he doing as president in general? Our call-in line is 844-745-TALK. That's 844-745-8255. We invite you to give us your reactions to the speech. Give us how you think Biden is doing on the virus in general and how he's doing as president in general here on Day 51. 844-745-TALK. We invite you to call 844-745-8255 after his first primetime address. And with us for the rest of the hour with analysis of the speech and to help take your calls 
Our Kai Wright, host of the podcast, The United States of Anxiety from WNYC, and Susan Page, Washington Bureau Chief for USA Today. She's also got a book coming out next month called Madam Speaker, Nancy Pelosi and the Lessons of Power. Susan, what's your USA Today headline for the speech if you are writing it right now? Well, I think it was a fireside chat. I mean, it was I was struck by his message, but also by his tone. It was somber, but hopeful. It was cautious. It was very conversational. He was trying to have a conversation with the American people after a year that has been like uh, no other. The news headline is probably that anybody who wants to get a vaccine is going to be eligible to get one as of May 1st, uh, a faster timetable, and that we're looking, the president is looking to July 4th as a day of special celebration when you wouldn't be able to have uh, a million people uh, at a big party, but you could have a backyard barbecue and feel good about it. Kai, same question. What's your headline in tone and in substance? I agree with Susan. I mean, it's quintessential Biden, um, I think is would be my headline. Um, uh, and, you know, it's that one two punch. I think he's going for this he, he, as he concluded. And as he's been saying all year, this idea, there's nothing we can do if we don't if we do it together. Don't bet against the American people. These are his core rallying ideas. And he's trying to. And I think what's interesting, what I kept thinking as I listened to him and, you know, that that classic Biden empathy. But it's also he's trying to. It seems to me that he's both trying to redefine patriotism, right? Uh, and maybe it's it's defined patriotism back to what it was at some pre-Trump era, you know. But uh, this idea of collectivity, patriotism lies in our collectivity and in our pluralism and our ability to take care of each other. And that's where our strength lies. And he's also kind of redefining the middle, um, you know, that um, he, you know, he is this classically moderate figure and this, this classically patrician figure. Uh, and it, it, and it's just it, and, and in that fire sat, that fireside chat tone that, that Susan's talking about, he's saying, Hey, by the way, you know, let's, you know, let's let big government solve these problems with us, you know? Um, so it's a, it, it is also a redefining of the middle that I think he's going for there. So those are the two things that stood, that stood out to me most. Also, I guess I'd say that he, he only touched on the stimulus bill very briefly. Um, and then to focus on the $1,400, it was mostly about the, the about the, the, the pandemic recovery and the news around it. Yeah, and I want to come back to that later because I was also surprised that he focused so little on the COVID recovery bill and general economics in this country. It was so much we need you to get vaccinated and rally around each other and hear the truth and follow the science, and then we can get back to normal. But we will get back to the politics of the COVID relief bill and what's in it and why he didn't talk more about it. But let's take our first couple of phone calls Hector in Stamford, Connecticut. You're on America. Are we ready? Thanks so much for calling in. Yes, my pleasure, Brian. I was a big fan of the show. Um, so I, I have to say, I'm actually very impressed with the job that Joe Biden is doing. And if you put politics aside, it, it really boils down to the fact that he is not occupying my mind. He's not creating chaos. He's not creating noise. He's doing the job of a great leader, which is to create focus and clarity and getting the job job and stability. And I'm just very happy to have a leader in place right now that seems to be focused on doing the job versus on just selling himself for the job constantly and creating more noise and chaos in a time when 
what we need right now is just some sort of focus and clarity of the way forward. Hector, thank you very much. Let's go right to Lara in Coral Gables, Florida. Hi, Lara. You're on America. Are we ready? Good evening. I just wanted to say that President Biden, in his first speech, is a breath of fresh air, and I'm so grateful. And uh, it was wonderful not to hear name-calling, blaming, denigrating, but positivity and if the country will just listen and come back together again. We don't have to be so divisive anymore. Laura, thank you very much, though. He did take some swipes, several swipes, at Donald Trump in that speech, and we'll come back to that, too. But let's go next to Joe in Wynwood, Pennsylvania. Joe, you're on America. Are we ready? Thanks so much for calling in. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Uh, first of all, I love his speech, uh, just like everybody else. But one thing I wanted to mention was how nice it was to hear about the May 1st deadline for the vaccine, because I'm, I'm an adult, I'm over 18, and I have asthma. It's not terrible enough to warrant getting the vaccine prior, but hearing that, it's a big relief because I've been worried about it for a while. Joe, thank you very much. And let's do one more in this set, and we're going to stay in Pennsylvania for Ben in Chester County, who tells our screener he was not a Biden voter. Ben, thank you so much for checking in. You're on America. Are we ready? Yeah, I just thought it was, it was empathetic, it was nice, uh, but not a whole lot of substance on actually really what the country, uh, well, what I was expecting, what I wanted to hear. A little bit more facts, and let's go, let's get this moving. Uh, it, could have, it could have been boiled down into a minute speech and then get some other good stuff on the table, but it just wasn't there. So I was kind of disappointed. Ben, thank you very much. And listeners, we cut through those first four callers pretty quickly, so we have some open lines now. If you want to call in and react to the speech or tell us how you think Biden is doing generally on COVID and generally as president in his first 51 days, it's 844-745-TALK, 844-745-8255, 844-745-TALK from wherever you are in America tonight. Um, so let's go through a few points there. To the caller, Susan, who pointed out or who highlighted uh, Biden opening up vaccinations to any American as of May 1st. Uh, here we are on March 11th. Why that tonight? Well, because I, it's, you know, he had set a goal uh, even before his inauguration of 100 million shots in the first 100 days. That was, I think, seen as an extremely realistic goal, maybe not a very ambitious one. Now he's been in office uh, for 51 days. Uh, we have another vaccine uh, available now and authorized for use. Production has been ramped up, and so he is raising the bar. Uh, this is still, I think, seen as a as a realistic goal for him to set. But it's one that I, I, I you know, I agree with uh, Joe, who found it reassuring. I think there are a lot of adults who have been okay with waiting until people in nursing homes and healthcare workers and teachers get shots first. But it's like winning the lottery to get your vaccination now. And so the idea that that's going to be widely available is really important. And it will also test this theory about vaccine hesitancy, that there are some people who are refusing to get vaccines especially in the minority community, because they are worried about the safety. There is some thought that that's really a, 
problem of access. So if you have vaccines easily accessible, you don't have to spend all day on your computer hitting refresh to try to get an appointment, that maybe that will address what has been of some concern to public health officials, which is will enough Americans be willing to take the vaccine? Now, one of the callers mentioned um, the unity, a couple of the callers really, that he isn't occupying my mind, one of them said, like Trump trying to get in there and uh, play head games with people and divide everybody. But he did take several swipes at his predecessor. Let's listen a little bit. Too often, we've turned against one another. A mask, the easiest thing to do to save lives. Sometimes it divides us. States pit it against one another instead of working with each other. Vicious hate crimes against Asian Americans who've been attacked, harassed, blamed, and scapegoated. And that was in the middle of the speech, Kai. The very first words out of his mouth, pretty much, uh, were that um, there was virus denial before he took office. And he didn't say the name Trump, but we knew who and what he was talking about. What would you make of that as a president who's also pitching unity? Well, I have to say, I mean, it's pretty mild to my ear. <laughs> I'll be honest. I mean, he, he made no reference to the Republican Party, no reference to the fight over the bill, no reference to the fact that, you know, uh, he has not gotten a single Republican vote. Um, none, none, no direct reference to his existing political enemies in the way that we have become used to. And I think, you know, I mean, those and you're right, Brian, those are obviously backhanded slaps, you know, but at the same time, there's a just on the politics of it. I think there's an interesting nuance there that he's trying to do where he's trying to uh, I did. He's trying to set himself up against his predecessor. Right. And say we are doing something different. But the way he's doing it is he is none. He's, he's still using it as an appeal for unity. Right. Like he's not saying uh you know, these idiots who won't wear masks, you know, they're the problem, right? Mm -hmm. He's saying, come on, let's all wear masks together. Let's not be like that. So it's a it's an interesting tack he's taking there where he's he's naming he's naming the people who 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 he thinks have been a problem, but he is but not blaming them, right? And not it but he's and it's still couching it in this unity message. So I mean the other thing I'd say though is that uh on some of the calls that just came in, uh Ben who didn't like the speech, uh I think this is one that's the greater question for Joe Biden is all of this empathy stuff, all of this unity stuff, it feels great and everyone loves it. Uh, but ultimately, that will wear thin if he is not able to deliver things uh, and we that will, will make play. people like Ben feel differently. We've got to go to our first break. Uh, for those of you just joining us, we'll replay a few other highlights from the speech. We'll keep taking your phone calls and keep talking to Kai and Susan. It's America. Are we ready? This is America. Are we ready? Our Thursday night call-in show for the first hundred days of the Biden presidency. This is day 51. And this hour, it's special coverage of Biden's first primetime address to the nation as president, which just concluded a short time ago. And we're breaking it down and getting your reactions at 844-745-TALK. 
844-745-8255. And still with us are Susan Page, Washington Bureau Chief for USA Today. She's also got a book coming out next month called Madam Speaker, Nancy Pelosi and the Lessons of Power. And Kai Wright is with us, host of the WNYC podcast, The United States of Anxiety. Let's play an excerpt from the speech. I think, in a way, this 60 seconds was the heart Um And it goes to what Kai was saying about his tone and how he's trying to appeal across the aisle uh, tonight, but at the same time telling people what he thinks they need to do. So he does claim credit for things his administration has done, but... But I need you, the American people, I need you. I need every American to do their part. That's not hyperbole. I need you. I need you to get vaccinated when it's your turn and when you can find an opportunity. And to help your family, your friends, your neighbors get vaccinated as well. Because here's the point. If we do all this, if we do our part, if we do this together, by July the 4th, there's a good chance you, your families and friends... We'll be able to get together in your backyard or in your neighborhood and have a cookout and a barbecue and celebrate Independence Day. That doesn't mean large events with lots of people together, but it does mean small groups will be able to get together. After this long, hard year, that will make this Independence Day something truly special. Where we not only mark our independence as a nation, but we begin to mark our independence from this virus. Susan Page, Joe Biden says, I need you. Yeah, defining patriotism as getting vaccinated or <laughs> defining patriotism as wearing a mask. Uh, and, you know, I think his message there in that, in that very interesting clip that you just played is that we're on the right path. We're heading in the right direction. It's not done yet. If we can hold on a little longer, there is this point in the foreseeable future on July 4th when some of these restrictions that we've been living with for a year will be lifted. Uh, so it's a, you know, he, he wants to give hope, but he doesn't. He, I think they're very concerned about moving too quickly to lift mask mandates, as some states have done, or to open up restaurants to 100 percent occupancy. He's saying, hold on a little bit longer, but we are coming out of this long, dark period. Let's hear some more callers. Suleiman in Joe Biden's home state, Newark, Delaware. Suleiman, you're on America. Are we ready? Hi. Hi, how are you? Good. How are you? What are you thinking? Yeah, I'm just happy the way the president talks to the nation, the way it was so cold, the tone was peaceful, and that's exactly what we need of a leader. We, don't, we need peace. We don't need division. And I just ex, ex, I try to express my happiness for the president, and I wish him the best of luck. Thank you so much for that call. And from Delaware, we'll jump all the way across the country to Eric in Spokane. Eric, you're on America. Are we ready? Thanks for calling in. Thank you for having me. What did you think of the speech? How do you um, think Biden's doing in general? Well, I think that he's doing a really good job of putting responsibility into the American people, telling us that it is our responsibility to do something and to stand up 
because at the end of the day, it all comes back to us. The government can only do so much, and it needs the support of the people. And I think that he has really good leadership skills when he displays that and helps us understand. Um, I'm 24 years old, and he sparks a lot of inspiration into me that I can actually step up and do something for, for my country and be a part of it instead of kind of watching it all happen. There's things that I can do to make the world a better place. If he inspired you to do that, then that certainly was a successful speech. Let's go to Ken in Brookings, South Dakota. Ken, you're on America. Are we ready? Thank you so much for calling in. Yes, and thank you, everyone, for being part of this. But our question here is the regular vaccines for pregnant women, infants, children, young adults were way behind on the regular disease vaccines. When will we catch up? Especially for people of color, people without resources and coverages. Thank you. Thank you very much. And Kai, let me go to you after that last call. One question that I had about the May 1st opening of the vaccines to every American, no more priority lists after May 1st, the president said in that speech. And I don't know if we can answer it this quickly, but one question I had was, if it's open to everybody, does that help or hurt or is irrelevant to the effort to target it to people of color who are not getting vaccinated at the same rates as it is of whites and Asians? Yeah, I've actually been sort of hunting around on Twitter for my public health people to see what people are saying about it. But, uh, you know, I think it Susan was right earlier. The, the, the core issue has been access and, you know, and it's been sort of chaos in, you know, hyper local chaos. Right. Like even here in New York, it just depends on what neighborhood you're in about what, how much access you have. And so I think the the idea that would make this better, the, the, the argument for it being an equity move is by creating one standard, opening it up, uh, saying everybody let's go, you're all everybody qualifies, and then tying that to. I mean, he pointed out he's he, you know he was careful to say we're going to open it up and we're going to do these things that we've been doing. We're going to make sure that there's this army of vaccinators. We're going to make sure that there are these increased number of sites, and you know we're going to make sure that there is an actual supply of vaccines. That's been the core issue, right? Is that there's just not enough of them to go around. Mm-hmm. And so I you know I I think there is a case to be made that by trying to one of the challenges that we have had is that everything has been done as a individual competition model neighborhoods against neighborhoods cities against cities states against states individuals against individuals and trying to federalize the process a little more gets us gets us out of that competition model and into something that can be more managed the other thing i'd say about it is i just this is just pure speculation you know i wonder if also part of it is like one of the problems is that people, so many people gaming the system, you know, um, and the people who have privilege and, and, and you know, have the skills to and the ability to get online and all of the things that you need to do to get it to win the vaccine lottery. Um, you know, maybe people, everyone can calm down a little bit if we know, OK, hey, there's enough vaccines. Everyone's going to qualify on May 1st. You don't need to rush over to the neighbor, go to, to the, the, the center outside of where you're at to try to get somebody else's vaccine. You're going to get one, too. I don't know. Maybe it'll maybe it'll turn down some of that behavior. Let's go to a couple of calls from Massachusetts because it's 
turning into not just the base state, but the skeptical state tonight. Uh, let's see what first Chris in Bilerica, Mass, has to say. Chris, you're on America. Are we ready? Hello. I I think um, the, um, the will be more in antibiotics, I hope, by May or, or earlier, so that people could go out to be um, with their friends so that they're not so cooped up in their houses. But you told our screener you thought he could have done more. What kind of exactly. more? Exactly. He could have done more on day one. I thought he would would have um, gotten more uh, people vaccinated by day one or and by could now. have had this nipped in the butt. Chris, thank you very much. Let's go to Jenny on Cape Cod. Jenny, you're on America. Are we ready? Thank you for calling in. Hello, thank you for having me. Um, I'm really like interested in how uh, Papa Joe and Kamala Mama are going to solve the issue of poverty throughout the United States. I think it's, it's great that you appeal to the middle class, but I live in a place where people come and who are totally unaffected by the pandemic. They don't use masks. They come down here, they, you know, enjoy our beaches and enjoy our communities and, like, do their thing, and that's all okay. But, however, when our, when we are trying to create affordable housing, and our affordable housing is reliant on this idea of what the medium home price is, and that's related to the fact that people have second homes here, it is not solving mm-hmm. the poverty problem or solving the problem for people who are trying to live here and make a living. Jenny, thank you very much for your call. And Susan Page, to that point, I was wondering going into the speech if the president would give a nod to any of the progressive economics in the bill that he signed this afternoon, the COVID relief bill, that go beyond explicit COVID, explicit COVID relief and arguably set up the next round of economic reform that he as a progressive president might go for, but he really didn't go there tonight. You know, I think that uh, that they did not, I think that the White House did not see that as the purpose of tonight's address. Tonight's address was more generic about we're in this together, we're making progress, we need to hold on. I think that there will be much more explicit laying out of the details of this huge $1.9 trillion bill that he signed today. And as you pointed out, and sparking some Republican outrage, there are a lot of provisions in this legislation that do not directly go to COVID relief. This is legislation that is expected to cut child poverty in half. Uh, It expands subsidies significantly for the Affordable Care Act for some people who made too much to get a subsidy but not enough to actually be able to afford health insurance. It expands the child tax credit uh, in a way that's that's pretty progressive and very helpful for families with children. This is, you know, this Biden hasn't talked about this as a great um, wish list uh, for liberals, but in fact, in many ways, it is. Um, and it, it's been interesting to me through this year, the shifting in American sentiment about what we expect 
and are willing to see the federal government do. You know, I think that willingness to have the government provide a really significant safety net. I mean, the government will now have spent $5.5 trillion in the past year on COVID bills. The willingness to accept that by an overwhelming majority of Americans, I think, is a shift in public opinion about the proper role of government. And it's one that's been brought about by this terrible crisis that left so many people feeling in such need of help. It's a huge, huge question, Kai. And I saw a CNN poll yesterday that had very high numbers on most of the COVID relief bill provisions that the Democrats stuck to their guns for, including monthly basic income checks for families with children, one of the most, if I can call it this, European social Democrat things in there. So how do you explain it and how do you think it sets up next steps? Well, it also just brings us almost sort of close to back to the aid for uh, the, the kind of child tax credits and, and aid that we had before 1996 when uh, the Democratic Party got rid of welfare. So, you know, we're, we're, it, it's also just sort of getting back to like mid-century United States, uh, I, you know, it, it, but it is a big deal. Let's be very clear, you know, and I think what the president is betting on here, what they're doing is they're hoping, you know, they, they hope to have some checks in people's bank accounts this weekend, you know? And so I think they're going to, you'll start seeing the celebration of the, of the economics in the bill tomorrow and for the next couple of weeks. And they're going to do exactly what uh, the Obama administration didn't do, which was twofold. One, make sure that the benefits that people are getting hit them right now, um, that the tile, that the tax credits come right now, that the, the unemployment insurance comes right now, that people get tangible, real benefits right now, and then tell them we gave them to you. There were one of the, the things about Obamacare that I always marvel at that people that the polling showed is that there were all these people who got, who got newly insured through Obamacare and did not realize it was a consequence of the affordable care act. Yeah. And, and, and so they, they are going to try to make sure that they don't have that problem. One of the tragically hilarious poll numbers of the last decade, a lot more people said they support the affordable care act than support Obamacare, <laughs> exactly. not realizing it was the same exact thing. And there's an expansion of Obamacare subsidies in this bill uh, to people who are more middle class rather than poor, people who are the sort of fifty dollars to $100,000 range who couldn't afford a lot of policies. So that's another expansion of government's role. A couple of more calls before we run out of time. Begali in Philadelphia, you're on America. Are we ready? Thank you for calling in. Oh, thank you for having me. Um, I just wanted to say that I enjoyed the speech for the same reason that others said. He didn't talk about himself. What a relief, no? I mean, <laughs> from speeches which I never ended up never listening to, but uh, I wanted to say that the bill is enormous. You can see from my accent that I wasn't born here. I'm uh, French and Italian, and uh, finally we're moving towards the safety net. And I think the bill is epical. And if Biden continues doing as well as he can, and he has learned the lesson that he cannot count on Republicans, I put him up there with with Roosevelt and Johnson. Johnson ruined by Vietnam. I hope Biden doesn't go the same way. But, of course, we have to pass the Voting Rights Act. Pegley, thank you so much. And from Philadelphia, let's go to Madison, Wisconsin, and hear from Claire. Claire, you're on America. Are we ready? Hi. Hi, thank you. I think President Joe deserves tremendous credit 
for what he has accomplished in less than two months. He hit the ground running. I mean, finally we have some hope, some accomplishments, some actions, some solutions. I think we're off to a great start in 2021, and I'm very happy. Thank you very much. 15 seconds each. Susan, what happens tomorrow? Well, tomorrow I think they'll begin to speak um, with more specifics about exactly what's in this legislation, what you can expect to see in your own bank account, how this is going to help people get through this period. Kai, what happens tomorrow? Well, I'll say in a couple of months what happens is millions of grandparents hugging their grandkids. That was his line that I yes. think if he can, if that, if, if millions of people feel that, then I think Joe Biden is, uh, is in for a lot of support. He certainly is the empathy president. So the opposite of I alone can fix it. I need you, he said, and talked about people hugging their families. And we'll see if he can turn it into action effectively. And listeners, that's it for this week's edition of America Are We Ready, our Thursday night national call-in show for the first 100 days of the Biden presidency. Thanks to our guests, Kai Wright, host of the podcast, The United States of Anxiety, and Susan Page, Washington Bureau Chief for USA Today. She's also got a book coming out next month called Madam Speaker, Nancy Pelosi and the Lessons of Power. Can't wait for that. And listeners, thanks to all of you who called from around the country and all of you who listened wherever you are. If you're interested, you can check out my podcast called Brian Lehrer, a daily politics podcast. Or I'll see you back here next Thursday night for America. Are we ready?